But I would like to try to come for a one walk, at least one walk a week. Good. <laughs> I went early this morning. I was out at like uh, 5 a.m. I just woke up. I kept waking up through the night and I like look at my phone because I set my alarm for six. Yeah. But then I like to be up before that and yeah. I usually wake up before that. But then I was like checking and checking it. I kept waking up in the night and I looked and it was like, you know, three something. And I was like, oh, okay, like two more hours of sleep. And then I woke up and it was like 4.15 and I was like, uh, I was like, no, that's too early <laughs> to get up. Like, that's crazy. So I like went back to sleep, but then it was like kind of rest to sleep and it was like five and I'm like, okay, now I can get up. <laughs> like I was like excited to wake up early. It's bonkers what's happening. Uh, it's crazy. I, I got to get on that. I know. So I was going to text you and be like, you up? No, I'm just kidding. It was so funny. I, I did get up at 525 because yeah. Finn came to our bed and oh. it was like kicking and stuff. Yeah. And then I looked and it was 525. I was like, oh, I should go do a workout. And I was like, now nah, I'll go to Finn's bed and sleep in his bed for, for an hour and a half. There and you I go. Like, well, I had the window. Yeah, but it's a little extra sleep. Sometimes you got to prioritize just being there for the kiddos, man. It's true. Um, but those priorities, those yeah. priorities are super important. And you know what always happens first before... I uh, head outside for the morning walk, how, what, however early it is. First thing that happens, because I'm always a little dehydrated from the nighttime. Yeah. AG1. It's my favorite. It's my favorite kickstart to the daily routine. So I get my AG1. I fill it up with water. I do one scoop. It's all you need. It's got 75 probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens. Um, oh, man, there's like everything you need in there, vitamins, minerals to kickstart your day. And I love that it's the very first thing that hits my system. So I'm rehydrating after, you know, a good night's sleep, hopefully a good night's sleep. And I'm hitting my system first thing in the morning with just all the goodness that it needs, right? The day gets busy. Sometimes it's hard to like eat a salad. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the veggies and have that diverse, you know, uh, thing like diverse eating to help your gut, flora, all that stuff. With AG1, it's simple. It's such a quick and easy hack to just really like level up your overall daily routine. And it's like that kind of daily nutritional insurance that I've got in my back pockets. First thing I do, then I head outside for my walk. It was raining this morning, but it was all right. It was all right. I did it. There we go. So if uh, our listeners want AG1 in their life, what's the best way to uh, to get a little AG1 Man. into their daily habits? What do we got to do? You got to go to drinkag1.com slash more good. Get that goodness, friends. Yeah, and uh, they're they're great. They're going to hook you up with five travel, pra- travel packs for free, which is great, and a year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which is beautiful, especially in these dreary months. So drinkag1.com slash more good, and uh, you can get on the morning routine. And it's the best thing to get you going in the day. There we go. Shout out to AG1. Get your AG1 friends. Yeah. Happy, happy, happy to have them as a continued sponsor for the pod. And equally so, you know, the morning routine continues. AG1 in the morning walk. And then you got to look good. So you got to take care of your skin. You got to really, you got to really do it. And we're doing that with Caldera Lab, which is an amazing product. We absolutely love it. And, um, you know, people this time of year, you get maybe more toques and all that kind of stuff. You're covering up your face, but don't because you got to get those compliments. People are going to be saying, wow, you look good. You look younger. You look fresh. You look clean. And, uh, you know, you got to be thinking about yourself down the road too. take care of your skin. It's 2023. We got to have a skincare routine. Uh, these, these routines, these habits are the new big thing. Really? It's like everyone's looking for life hacks and things to do. And, uh, Really, Caldera Labs takes like one minute out of your day. Wash your face twice a day with a, just like 
top tier ingredients. I'm telling you, man, the clean slate is that face wash leaves all skin feeling refreshed. Base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence, feeling good, looking good. And then at night, few drops of the good which is your go-to serum multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and brighter smoother even younger with 3.4 million antioxidant units packed into that goodness i'm telling you caldera lab is where it's at there we go so dean i'm, I'm looking at you across the table and and my friend you have a radiant glow to Am your skin you've never looked uh Never looked better. I feel like uh, you're aging like a, a fine, you know, alcoholic-free wine <laughs> from Sansorium. Shout out to Sansorium. So uh, if uh, if our friends listening want to have the same radiance, the same glow that you, my friend, have, how can they partake? Yeah, we got a sweet deal for you, our listeners, an exclusive deal that uh, you won't be able to beat this offer. Use code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com to get 20% off right now. That's right. You can get 20% off right now with code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com. You can make an incredible first impression. You can level up your skincare routine um, and save 20% off when you go to calderalab.com and use the code MOREGOOD. Trust me, it's like one application and you will notice a difference. You will feel a difference. Uh, This stuff really works and I love it. Um, Check it out. calderalab.com slash MOREGOOD. You're going to love it. There we go, friends, and and just gratitude uh, to all of you, gratitude to our sponsors for uh, allowing us to do what we do. One of the ways you can support the pod, I mean, obviously listen, listening to it is great, sharing it with a friend, throwing up a review wherever you listen, Apple, Spotify, Google, Facebook, Instagram, wherever that might be. Uh, Reviews and likes and follows allow us to spread a little more goodness to a, a little more people i don't know if that's grammatically correct and another big way to support the pod is to support the sponsors so big love to the sponsors and big love to all of you yes and this week's episode is a good one you are not only going to want to tune in and listen but you are going to want to share it because our guest Erin Trelor uh, shares so beautifully and eloquently and vulnerably about her story, her work in the world. And um, this is one that is like too good not to share with people that you know that might benefit from, you know, someone having a conversation around things that really matter, right? I mean, the name of her podcast and kind of um, agency that she has is Raw Beauty Co. And, you know, she is someone who helps people as a health and wellness and life coach uh, and really can speak from experience, right? She says that at one time people might have looked at her and thought, oh, she was thriving and really living her best life, but talks about how on the inside she was struggling, battling with anxiety, disordered eating and facing, you know, kind of burnout. And I think that a lot of us can you know, uh, we can see ourselves in some aspect of that in this busy world that we have. We're always on the go. And sometimes our health, physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual takes a toll. And Aaron is someone who speaks with wisdom and experience and has kind of come out the other side and is still on her journey. And like I say, just shares so powerfully. And so we know you're going to love this episode and, and we would encourage you to share it with a friend who you think might also love it or benefit from the wisdom of Aaron. Yeah, we dive deep into overcoming limiting beliefs, which is uh, huge. Something uh, you know we can all all work on going from limited beliefs to limitless beliefs, and just how that shift can kind of change everything for for ourselves. And 
recovering from triggers that put us back in scarcity mindsets. Uh, you know, we want to stay in that abundance, stay in possibility, and, and we don't want to get stuck for too long in, in fear or, or scarcity. And, and, you know, we share our own experiences with us as well. So this was a, a very uh, profound and beautiful conversation and, and just so appreciative of Erin and, and kind of the space that she continues to hold and explore and be both a, a teacher and a student. So this was a, a conversation that I loved and I'm excited for you guys to tune in this week. Yeah, we know you're going to love this conversation. All right. Aaron Chalor, everyone. All right. All right. Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We're so excited for for this week's conversation where we're sitting down on the, the Zoom sphere, the Zoom verse with uh, with our friend Aaron Trelor, founder of Raw Beauty Talks, Raw Beauty Company, uh, host of the, the Raw Beauty Talks podcast as well. Thanks so much for joining us today, Erin. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be sitting here with two men. I never talk to men, like ever. I know. I, was, I, was <laughs> I am strictly talking to females over here <laughs> other than my husband. <laughs> so this is a nice change of scene. Right on. There we go. Change it up. I know. I was scrolling through your your um, podcasts and, and listening to some, and I noticed it was uh, you know very woman-centric, which is amazing and beautiful, and, and I love the message that you're sharing. And even though it is it is predominantly woman focused, you know, you do have some some male listeners and, and fans of your work over here as well. Oh, well, thank you. And I just want to state for the record, the reason that I talk to women, I think, is because I grew up in a family with three girls. And so all of us had our little friends when we were younger, and you tend to end up kind of befriending I, I mean, there's just a lot of girls around is basically what it comes down to. And I think I got really comfortable with that audience. And so uh, it hasn't been something where I put a lot of thought behind it at all. That's just sort of who I attracted and then who the programming, um, you know, the programs and the offerings that I have, who those became tailored to. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean... I think there's messages for for everyone, and I think you have a, a great audience. and And just to kind of rewind things back a little bit, just to give you give you some some shout outs and and some love, like going back to where I first met yourself and discovered the work you were doing was back kind of early social media days, um, raw beauty talks, and you were kind of disrupting an industry that was very polished and um, very toxic in, in the images that it was presenting to to culture, um, to, to communities uh, being kind of like the mainstream images that you'd see in magazines, on television. And I feel like your, your Instagram, your blog back in the day were kind of early disruptors in showing that, you know, all bodies are beautiful um, self-love, we're kind of changing the conversation from you had to look one way or be one way to to be beautiful and to be loved. And uh, I feel like you set dominoes in place that um, had a very widespread effect in, in kind of changing that conversation to be much more welcoming and inclusive to absolutely all bodies and all people. So just wanted to give you some shout outs for that. 
Well, thank you. I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah, those were like the those initial dominoes that were laid, were placed, were standing up. Um, I don't think I ever could have dreamed of where that would have taken me or the path that I would end up on as a result of that initial campaign that we did. So Raw Beauty Co. started in 2014 as a passion project, a side hustle. I was working with my parents' company. They have a, a physio clinic in Vancouver, Trelor Physio. And, um, and it started as a, a passion project that was born from my own struggle with food and body image. So I always, it's, it's been a nine-year journey of Raw Beauty Co. existing in some way, shape, or form. But really, this whole story begins back when I was in high school and uh, developed a raging eating disorder. And so much of that eating disorder was a reflection of two key things. One, anxiety that I didn't know how to deal with or cope with, that um, food and focusing on my body became a coping mechanism for anxiety, which back when, when we were in school, I don't know about you, but for us, like anxiety, depression, uh, mental health, it wasn't really being talked about yet. To anybody looking in, I was a straight A student who did really well and was excelling and uh, was a bit of a perfectionist. But all of those behaviors and the way that I was, was really a, a protective mechanism against the anxiety that I was feeling underneath the surface. So the anxiety was um, was definitely something that catapulted that eating disorder into a really unhealthy place. And then also these images in media of the beauty ideal, which in the 90s was this really like heroin chic, if we can call it that, uh, image of a woman. So it started off with like Kate Moss. I remember having pictures of her torn out of magazines on my wall. And then it was like Nicole Richie and um, Lindsay Lohan, who I think they were maybe going to In-N-Out Burger once a week and then partying their little faces off. They Everyone was just super, super thin. And early 2000s, we kind of moved into this Victoria's Secret model version or ideal of beauty. And so for so many of us who were growing up during that time, not only were was the definition of beauty in media very narrow, there was just so much conversation around diet culture. Weight Watchers was a big thing. People were counting calories. People were um, really focused on this like low fat diet. I don't know if you guys remember all the little snack packs and things that were available back in the day. And so this combination of of having this underlying anxiety plus this image of beauty and value and success and you know like all of the things that we desire as humans um resulted in in a in a really bad eating disorder so kind of starting at that point to where you are now um obviously you've you've learned a lot uh through your own work, but also through your podcast and, and listening to, you know, various guests. I'm just curious, like what your own personal evolution of, of body image and body love has been over, over this kind of journey that you've been on. Mm. Okay. Well, when I had the eating disorder, I felt 
disgusted by my body. I felt like, um, I, it just wasn't right. It was never right. And I had, I remember having this goal weight that I wanted to hit and I hit that weight. And at that point, this, these thoughts in my mind about what I should and should not eat and what was good and what was bad and the calorie counting and the weight, all of it had formed these little, like the patterns, the ruts that, the, that we get into as humans, maybe it's not around food, but we all have our, our thinking ruts or our looping um, thoughts that aren't serving us. And so those were really etched in. I knew, unlike many people who have an eating disorder, that I was getting too thin. I actually, I'm 5'11". I'm genetically born into a long, lean body. There wasn't a lot of room for losing any weight at all. And so I looked in the mirror and continued to not like what I saw, even when I reached that weight. I knew that I was too thin, but I couldn't stop that narrative in my mind telling me not to eat, telling me to wait until later, seeing how many calories I could reduce. Then I went into the hospital, which is, oh man, it's like facing your biggest fear. And you are basically force fed from a menu that you don't get to choose. And so the first week I would say was, I mean, I just like sobbed my face off constantly. I didn't feel like I fit in there. It was, it was shocking to say the least. Um, and your body starts changing, which is really hard. It feels out of control. It's the opposite of what the eating disorder wants. And so that voice gets extra loud because it's about to die. And what's cool is that after a week of being in there, which is what I'd committed to my parents to, to I committed to them that I would stay in for one week. And I remember it was like day eight or nine. And my dad came in to visit and I was like, I can't leave yet. I don't want to go home. Like that voice is getting quieter. And so I knew I needed to stay. I stayed for three months in between grade 11 and 12. And it was my first introduction to doing quote unquote, the work, like starting to get to know myself, starting to move into the body and understanding what it means to physically support your body, starting to then work on the mindset and understanding the things that had impacted the way I was viewing and perceiving the world. And so I left the hospital program, still not like absolutely not feeling confident in myself, but I was at least alive. I'd gotten my period back. I was able to go back to school. I never returned back to dance, but I was able to start living again. Now, what's interesting is I grew up in a house where my mom wasn't obsessed with the way that she looks. We didn't talk a lot about like beauty stuff. She probably thought it was weird that I was so into these magazines and this culture of fame and, and celebrities and all of that kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't demonstrated at home. It really was a, a social norm or a cultural thing that was infiltrating the way that I felt about myself. I spent the next 10 years in an interesting place. And I I honestly think that this is where a large population of women exist today, especially in their 20s, because our 20s is this roller coaster of trying to figure out who the hell we are. Where do we live? How do we make money? Who are our friends? What works? What doesn't work? All of these things. And so I 
never got back to that place of having a full-blown eating disorder, but I still had disordered eating patterns. I did not know how to eat intuitively. I did not know how to have balance. Um, I continued this clean eating behavior during the day. So still really having that good and bad food list. And then at night I would find myself binge eating, eating all the things and feeling kind of out of control around food. Like I remember going to different McDonald's drive-thrus because I didn't want to order too much at one window and have anybody see me. And, and then I would eat all the food and then I would drive down these alleys to dispose of the McDonald's so that nobody would know. Or I remember as well, like I was living with a guy at the time who wasn't my boyfriend, who was just a friend. And I would have these binge moments, especially after drinking. And like, I'd be out on Granville street at the Roxy. And then I would come home and eat all the things. And then I'd be like, shit, I ate all of his food and he's going to know. So then I'd have to go to the grocery store in the middle of the night to get the food and replace it. Like all of these things sound surprising, but I can guarantee there are people listening to this right now who are like, I've done that. I've been there as well. So if that is you, I just want you to know that you're not alone and that it's not that you're not disciplined enough or that you're broken. It's that the system around us is broken and you can 100% heal your relationship with food in your body. It's not even as difficult as you think. So in this space, I'm binge eating. <laughs> I'm like actually truly back to that space of hating my body at this point, uh, only being able to see cellulite, only being able to see flaws. Uh, and I just felt so, so ashamed, really. It wasn't until I met a coach and started working with her myself that things really started to change. So what were those habits? I mean, I've got a few questions that I'd like to circle back around. Um, what were some of those habits that allowed you to see yourself differently, interact with yourself differently, have a different relationship with food. And maybe in answering that as well, if you could define uh, intuitive eating and explain what that is, if, if listeners don't uh, haven't heard that term before. Okay, yes, 100%. So let's go into this next section of the story, which is when really the healing started to begin. Um, I started working with a life coach not knowing what a life coach was or what a coach even was. I tried different therapists. I had never really like found the one yet. I'd worked with nutritionists. And so what was interesting to me is this idea that a, that a coach was going to help me get clear on what I wanted in my life and then help me figure out how to get there. Um, the things that were most transformational for me in healing that really broken body image, number one, was doing the body work. So getting into my body and learning to actually just sit with what was there. And that felt impossible when I started. I don't know if anybody's like beginning a meditation practice in this community, or if maybe you're somebody who just like feels like you can't sit still. That was me. I could not sit still. I would close my eyes. I would last 20 seconds. It was too uncomfortable. There was so much tightness in my chest, so much um, anxiety, really like physical anxiety that I couldn't sit still. So I would just always keep busy, 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 busy. When I was able to finally learn how to sit and that I could sit with those feelings 
And that generally what I would experience with the help of this coach was that the feelings would intensify. And then as I continue to sit with them and name things like, you know, what's the color that I'm feeling? Where is it in my body? What's the emotion that's there? That those feelings would begin to dissipate. They would start to break apart. They would, uh, you know, sometimes it would sink into my stomach. Some of you listening to this right now are like, what the fuck is she talking about? But you've got to experience it to understand it. And I know some of you have. So essentially what you're doing is you're going in and you're learning how to use the body to heal. There's no, there, you know, there's no pill, there's no cleanse, there's no uh, thing you can buy at a clothing store. There's no social media posts that you can do that is as effective as just sitting with yourself and learning to be non-judgmentally with what is. So we had to spend a bit of time working on that with me because uh, there was so much going on underneath the surface. As those feelings uh, began to dissipate and settle, the compulsion to reach for food and to binge reduced drastically. And as I became more comfortable just being with myself and with what was, and I wasn't binge eating, the body image started to heal. Because body image and negative body image is a symptom of a dysregulated nervous system. Some people have uh, anxious thoughts about making money. Some people have it about something bad happening to their kids. Some people have it about their body being wrong. And so as we learn to regulate the nervous system, then these thoughts don't hold as much power. Hmm. That's That's so fascinating because... I think like it, it, that's such a like kind of penny drop moment for me because of course we would say that about like other sources of you know maybe we could call it addiction if someone had some some substance abuse uh, they, that was like their struggle or it was alcohol or you know maybe a different type of self-deprecation that wasn't necessarily tied to food but like over exercising and stuff and we can look and be like oh yeah that's because you're in like a state of dysregulation and our body is like we don't feel like at home or at peace in our body but I had never thought about that in terms of how that would manifest itself in term like as a body image like when yes. when I look at myself and I see myself I'm like I don't like what's there and that that is because we're not in a sense of we're not we're not regulated within ourselves that's exactly. brilliant. And it's, it's cool. If you think about it, somebody can have a day where they're feeling confident, like they feel pretty good. They're not that they're not even really thinking about their body. They're thinking about other things. And then they can go out with friends one night and they drink too much, or uh, maybe there's some tension or conflict at work. Like something happens to dysregulate the nervous system and they wake up the next day and they're like, I can't find anything that fits me right. Like I feel disgusting today. Then because there's more anxiety, the tendency can become, okay, what's a coping mechanism? Well, I can shop, I can eat, I can drink. And we turn to these behaviors that further dysregulate the system rather than the ones that help us to regulate in a healthy way. And so we know that it is partly a reflection of a dysregulated nervous system because many people experience that they'll have good and bad body image days when their body hasn't really changed. It's something on the inside that has shifted. Yeah. 
And so interesting, even those three things that you named, right? Shopping, uh, drinking, and and like eating, right? And being out, like these are things that we see associated as like good times, right? The the mm-hmm. advertising we see is like, oh yeah, like buy this new thing and it will make you feel better. Or if you feel bad about yourself, you just need the latest whatever. And then you'll, and we know that when we buy something new, we feel good for like a day yes. and then it goes yes. back to being like, well, that thing's not new anymore. And I still feel those feelings or mm-hmm. alcohol will temporarily numb you to whatever you're feeling but then you often wake up feeling worse or once the party is over you're just back with those feelings and it's interesting that like those messages right I mean even what you shared earlier like we're we're always seeing and consuming intentionally and even unintentionally images of what happiness quote unquote looks like and so when we're dysregulated and feeling unhappy or unsatisfied we turn to the things that seems like the quick fix and Mm. like we know it's going to give us that dopamine hit, but it's not actually sustainable long-term solutions to the dysregulation we're feeling. Yes, exactly. Mm. I mean, yeah, you nailed it. So going back to that question of how do you start to shift your body image if you're struggling with that? And this is true for males, females, whatever you connect with, right? Um, The first thing is really getting into the body and um, learning how to regulate the nervous system, whether that's through somatic practices or, um, I mean, there's a, a, a number of things you can do. For some people, it's movement. Meditation is incredible for that. You can do acupuncture. Um, you can work with a coach who can support you in doing that. There's lots of different ways, but we move into the body and we regulate the nervous system that's step one. Step two is looking at your environment around you. So who are you listening to? Who are the people that are showing up on your social media feed every day? Um, The examples of individuals that you look up to, like, what are they talking about? Is it all image based stuff? And then as well, even noticing in your social circles, is there a lot of diet culture talk? Is, Is everybody like obsessed with what one another is wearing and how much weight they've lost and just noticing how much dialogue there is around you is uh, something important to consider for sure. So going into the body, looking at who you're surrounding yourself with. The one thing about the media that's so interesting is the social media gets a lot of hate. But what's cool about social media is that you really can tailor it to what is going to best serve you. So if you went onto your own social media pages or f- for you feeds, they would probably look different than mine because they're tailored based on what you're clicking on and, and what you enjoy. Same as my husband's is a lot of like sports and training stuff. And mine looks a little bit different. It's a lot of like motivational speakers and quotes and, um, and, and feel good stuff. So the difference between now and when I was 16, when I was 16, the magazines would land at my door and I had no say over what was in those magazines. It was an editor in LA or New York who was picking the girls who got to decide what was going on. We as the consumer have more voice and choice than ever before. And we get to be the editors of our own social media feeds. 
So make sure that what you're clicking on, what you're watching and what you like are all things that actually make you feel good. Because I really believe that the media that we consume and the stories that we're listening to are as important as the food that we're ingesting into our bodies, the water that we're drinking. It is another intake that affects our ability or that affects our output, really. It's an intake that affects our output. And so we want to be really mindful as to what it is that we're consuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have to be just passively handed down uh, the aesthetic of whatever it might be that we think, you know, should be out there. You can, you can intentionally curate it. And I think that's really important because we often use social media uh, not, not in a really like healthy, proactive way, but we do, we kind of just can consume and follow and someone might have lots of followers or be an influencer. So we follow them, but it's actually like not the best thing for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And to rather mm -hmm. curate it with people who are inspiring or doing things that you would like to be doing because they're like healthy, genuinely good things. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, it's a curated experience where you, you can start to be inspired rather than feeling like, bad about who you are right and that, yes. that's the, the, yes. the, the so comparison just remember game. you're in choice with that stuff even though it feels like a lot of stuff is getting pushed at us which it is you do have some say and and you can make it work for you absolutely yeah i'm i'm in total agreement with that um i like how you talk about the importance of of who you surround yourself with and uh, I don't remember who I heard this from, but uh, the quote was like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So it just kind of brings a lot of intention to who who your peers are. And that can go in person, that can go online, that can, like like you mentioned, your diet can be more than just your food. It can be what you're consuming online. It can be the water you're drinking. It can be the clothes and the clothes you're wearing and the products that you're putting on your skin. Um, just bringing overall intention to that and... and um, I think when you get excited or curious about something, whether social media or, or your, your peers, uh, it can kind of feed that curiosity and, and get you further in your own evolution. Like, uh, you know, you mentioned water. Dean and I have been really into water lately. And just like there's so many incredible resources on Instagram and online. And uh, it just kind of instead of being just a brain drain, we're just ping ponging like positive things back and forth and like almost feeling ourselves level up. Um, so social media can be positive when it's intentional. And I think that idea of, of who you surround yourself with, I mean, I mean it, it kind of, it's a really quick, easy check-in, like look at, it's a reflection, really truly a reflection of, of yourself. So if, if your social group is kind of bringing you down, then maybe, you know, take take awareness of that and and consider trying some new things breaking into some new groups or, or habits and and seeing if if that kind of changes your own evolution or your 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 mood will follow those actions or, or just see where that takes you totally and I always love the idea you know whenever I talk to clients about being aware of their environment, they're like, but I can't leave Susie behind. We've been best <laughs> friends since kindergarten. I'm like, Susie can stay, but also like, who new do you want to bring in? And really, this is my philosophy with food and nourishment, as well as like focusing on what we can add in rather than what we're removing, because letting go is really hard for people. And so if we focus instead on how are we growing, expanding, 
uh, adding to our circle, adding to our diet. I feel like that is, uh, it feels a lot easier for people. So maybe if you're listening right now, take a second to think about what is an area of my life where I could add in or infuse it with something really positive, whether that's water or uh, relationships or um, mentorship, nourishment, all of the things. I do want to I do want to add to one of the questions that you had asked about body image and um, intuitive eating. I think you asked what is intuitive eating. So going circling back to this storyline, I guess will be my anchor here. <laughs> After I'd done the body work and started to regulate the nervous system, the binge eating started to subside, but there was still um, a, an unlearning essentially that needed to occur around food and going back to really what is instinctual for us as human beings. So the way that I eat now is intuitively and intuitive eating is a, is a kind of eating that was named by two registered dietitians. It is an anti-diet approach to health and wellness. And, um, it really comes back to eating as we did when we were little. So honoring our body's hunger and fullness cues, noticing when we're hungry noticing when we're full. Now for anybody who's dieted or restricted for long periods of time, we can really lose sense of what those signals are. Like I didn't I didn't have any idea when I was hungry or when I was full. Which is crazy because our body is on our team, it wants us to thrive, it wants us to survive and so it's always speaking to us. It's always giving us messages. It's like, "Hey Dean, I'm hot right now. Can you take off your sweatshirt or like you know, I'm uh, thirsty right now. I need some water or I have to go to the bathroom. And so we go to the bathroom, but because of diet culture and all the messages that we've received, we've been told to ignore and bypass our hunger and fullness signals all in the name primarily to get skinnier. We were told, like, ignore your hunger, ignore your fullness. It's not right. It's going to make you bigger, whatever it is. And so for me, it was so important to come back to those hunger and fullness signals and to start honoring my body in the same way now that when I'm really tired, I don't drink three coffees and push through. Okay, well, maybe there are some times in motherhood that I did that for sure in the early days. But for the most part, I know now that that's going to grind me into the ground. And while it might work for one day, I'm going to pay for it for the next three days with more anxiety or, or I'm going to have an energy burnout. So I... Um, as an individual, really practice listening to my body, working on the same team as it, honoring the signals that I receive. And that's what I support my clients in ultimately is getting back on the same team as their body. So this is where intuitive eating principles and practices really supported me um, in learning how to be able to hear those signals again, and then trusting that I could hear them or that I could listen to them. I mean, at the time, my fear was like, I'm going to get so big if I listen to those signals. And um, again, that fear of becoming fat, of becoming big is so deeply ingrained in our society. It's fat phobia. Um, but really, learning how to eat again. And what was so cool is that after 
you know, some time of doing this, I would have days where I would crave a salad, like where I actually wanted the salad or where I knew that I wanted fruit. And I started to crave healthy things while also maintaining space for things like chips and a piece of cake and, you know, whatever it was. So now I would say the way that I eat is, is really intuitive. I'm, I'm connected to when I'm hungry. I'm connected to when I'm full in the same way that I know when I have energy and when I'm tired and when I feel inspired, when I need social contact versus when I need time, um, on my own, it's a really cool way to live. Mm-hmm. Like it feels really good yeah. to be in this space. Yeah, it's so good because like it's it's such an important thing to to say and to remind people and even educate people around. Like there's this thing out there called intuitive eating, and it's funny, you know. Like we were talking before pre pod, like we all have kids, and they are so ruled by like their intuition, right? Like they know when yes. they're hungry, they know when they're full, right? They know when they need a Not little snack, or, right? And it's like, and food is food is obviously so enjoyable for kids. Like you watch them eat, and they have their favorite things, and then when they're hungry, they will eat just about anything it seems like but it is so they live so intuitively and and it's interesting that and very sad that somewhere along the journey from childhood to adolescence usually is where we start to to repress what our body is telling us and then as adults we have to become aware of what we've done and then like you said move back into a more embodied state where we can sit with our body and the feelings we have and think about them and then return and allow Mm -hmm. I love the language you use, like allow ourselves to come back and be on the same team as our physical body and, and to mm-hmm. listen and support it. And I mean, we've talked about that lots in terms of just not not only around, you know, food, but just any type of like health or like that in, internal knowing, right? Relying yes. on our gut or our intuition to to guide us and trust it. Yes. And it's so important for athletes, for parents to be kind of tapped into this intuition. I mean, I'm watching Scott, my husband trained for Ironman right now. And in the training process, you have days where you are, where there's an injury or there's like something nagging at you. And you have to be so tapped into whether or not this is a time when you just kind of push through it or whether it's, it's a time when you actually need to rest it in order to be, when you need to slow down and able in order to be able to move forward faster. And so these practices really serve us in every area of our life, in business, in, in all aspects. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's mm. interesting. I've been thinking a lot slightly about, uh, programming, how, um, our habits, you know, we can, we can for so long be, be one way and something can happen and it can kind of reset our course to reprogram how we think, but it always has come within like that confident self that you once were, you know, that came from within that anxious self that you were that came from within. And when I kind of like realized that these versions of myself were, were iterations that I was manifesting from, from within, it kind of gave me some power to choose which version of myself I wanted to show up as. Um, so I thought maybe we could kind of like dial into that a little bit. Like I know, how we see ourselves is is a mindset. It, it can be either a scarcity mindset that we're not good enough, or it can be an abundance mindset where we we love ourselves, and that can carry over to 
to money, to relationships, to how we show up and work. Um, so they, you know, we talked about the positive domino that um, you kind of created when you start first started kind of disrupting the the body image space. But maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, cultivating an abundance mindset and overcoming limiting beliefs because I I think like. You know, we're coming through the pandemic, but I think some of that programming that I mentioned, like we're still stuck in this anxiety, fear, um, stressed out, burnt out uh, kind of programming that it was hard to overcome during this pandemic because there was a lot of messaging, you know, of, of fear and uh, isolation and all of this. So how do we kind of move forward, whether that's loving ourselves, how our body looks, um, having a positive relationship with, with money, uh, with, with our partners, with our children. So it's kind of a big question, but maybe we can kind of mm-hmm. navigate cultivating an abundance mindset and overcoming limiting beliefs. Mm, I love this topic. I could jam on it forever. Nice. If I'm being honest with you, when I started working on my abundance mindset, I was like, I'm working on this cause I want to make money. Like I want to be a millionaire. And so I need to figure out why I am $60,000 in debt right now. And I, I know part of this is my programming. Part of it is because I was not looking at my bank account or my finances and landed in this nice hole. But that again was, um, because there was so much anxiety around money within. So it was like, I'll just stick my head in the sand over here. So when I think about when I initially went into this work around shifting my mindset from a space of lack and scarcity to abundance, if I'm being honest with you, it was around money and finances that was driving that. But what I came to understand pretty quickly is that this work is about so much more. It's about how we see everything in life and uh, the entire world. I remember listening to one meditation where um, the woman who was guiding it said, this practice of creating an abundance mindset starts with looking at the abundance that is already all around you, like the abundance of oxygen that you have to breathe, the abundance of leaves on a tree, the abundance of water molecules that are available to you. And for those of us lucky enough to be in Vancouver, we just turn on the tap and it's there. There is an abundance of food when we go into the grocery store. There is an, there are an abundance of human beings on this planet right now. Like there are so many people in so many different countries and cultures really just starting to look for that abundance everywhere to take off the glasses of lack and scarcity. You know, there aren't enough people here to make my business work or there aren't enough dollars out there. There's billions of dollars out there, people, like billions of dollars floating around. And some of it is in the hands and pockets of people that we know (laughs) aren't doing the best things with it. So it's really beginning at this really grassroots level of understanding there is excess in this world at a universal level. And it's not even something we have to make up like it is. That's just the truth. And when you start to really meditate on that and align with that, it shifts your energy in, in your body. And this work really is about shifting your own reaction 
two things and aligning with abundance from a space within. Once we are more aligned with that, with the the hope and the possibility and the reality of abundance, then without the risk of sounding too woo, like we really do just start to attract that stuff without without having to force it and without having to push. The other thing I used to do was I would attract money, but then I had this belief system that being wealthy or rich was kind of bad, like that that um, those people were different or other, or they, had, they were greedy was the belief. And so I would give it away as quickly as I could. It was like going into my nonprofit. It was going over here. I would just spend it, not frivolously, like I'm not a big... I don't I don't even know where I was putting it, but it would come and I would it would be like hot potato, get rid of it as fast as I can. And so I wasn't able to save or nurture or honor my money. And so really the work that I've been doing there, ultimately it does spread into every area of your life. When we think about body image, our tendency is to look at our bodies through this lens of lack or not enough. Like I should be bulkier or I should be thinner or my stomach in particular with women. This is an area that so many women have a tough time with. My stomach isn't right. Or I could fix that one little thing. What if we throw those glasses out the window and put on the abundance glasses and we instead look at all the things that our body is doing right? The fact that you don't even have to think about it and your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing and your cells are dividing and shifting and changing. If you get a cut, it's a it's like freaking magic. Your body just forms the scab over it and heals itself. Like your hair is growing, you can see things, you can hear music, you get to feel your baby hugging you, like you get to taste all these flavors. There are so many freaking incredible things that your body is doing and yet we like to focus in on the the one part that is wrong. So put on your abundance glasses and start looking for the good. The more that we look for the good, the more that we see, the more that we begin to uh, shift the energetic vibration of our body. And then you start seeing, like noticing, okay, when I'm existing from this space and I walk into the grocery store, I've got my eyes up, my shoulders are held back. I'm saying hi to people. People seem more friendly to me. Like it just shifts everything versus when we go in with that lack feeling, we're going into the grocery store and we've got our hoodie on and our eyes are down. We've got the energy of don't fucking talk to me. And then life reflects that back to us. So all of this work, it starts within and it begins with you, which is cool because sometimes it can feel like we got to buy all these things and get all this new stuff. And there's like 700 wellness plans that we can follow. But for me, it really is all about supporting people and coming back to themselves, learning how to listen and heal from within and then moving outward in the world from there. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, I think that's really like such an important piece for, for all of us to like really let sink in is that it's so empowering, right? Like we often look to external people or things to to fix us or to help us or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I love that it starts with us, right? And we have the agency, the power, even in a moment where we feel weak or broken or less than or not as good as we should be, that if we start to just in 
what might seem like insignificant ways, choose to see the positive and not like in this toxic positivity, like, oh, everything's fine. But in a genuine sense, like I'm going to choose to see abundance and I'm going to choose to Mm -hmm. notice that like my body is keeping me alive and like I have all of these things that are working for me and I'm going to choose to put on a smile and and interact with people in a way that might feel uncomfortable but and and in those little ways we start to change the energy that we have and like you said so wonderfully like it it's reflected back to us and we might start Mm -hmm. to see like oh the world isn't out to get me or isn't this bad scary place it was like maybe the energy that I was holding and Mm -hmm. we are empowered to change that for the better and I think that that is such an important thing for people to remember that they have within them the power to begin to change. And it doesn't mean that we it's going to happen overnight or that we can do it all ourselves without support. Certainly we we need we need each other and we need people who are guides and everything, but I love that you brought that up. I think that's so important is that we have the power within us to to make those changes for for the better. I'm so glad that you mentioned that it takes time because it really does. I mean, I've been doing this work since I was 16. I'm 38 now. But don't let that you know, stir up any fear because when I was 16, I was in a hospital bed and now I'm married to this incredible guy. We have two beautiful kids. I'm literally working every day at my dream job, getting to work one-on-one with women, working groups with them. We've got this beautiful retreat coming up in September. I get to have conversations with guys like you. And I mean, the places, the 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 conversations that I've got to have on the Raw Beauty Talks podcast as well, like with sitting down with Wim Hof and Dr. Daniel Amen and like learning from these thought leaders in different areas. All I can say is the work is just so worth it. There's, there's nothing better to invest in than yourself. Like you are your number one investment, whether that's, whether we're talking about like actually exchanging dollars and cents for education or whatever it is. But even when you think about like the foods that you're eating and who you're spending your time with and how you're spending your time, you are your greatest investment. So start acting like it. So true. Like, uh, you know, I think kids are a good reflection of this and, and not everybody has children that are listening to this, but like, uh, you want the best for your children. And if you can see the child within yourself, like I wouldn't give my, my, my boys something that I think would be harmful for them, whether that's food or an activity or a social setting or um, a habit or anything like that. And if, if we can see the, the kid, the children within ourselves and, and treat ourselves with the same, tenderness, grace, care that we do for, for our kids, then, you know, I think those, those possibilities open up. Um, one thing I'm curious about that, you know, I, I, I've struggle with, and I think a lot of people can. So you've been on this, this path since you were 16 years old and paths journeys are never linear. It's never like from A to B there's, there's ups and there's downs and there's more ups and there's more downs. And I think it's actually kind of boring if it was just like a flat line the whole way through. Like I think, the yawn get me off that roller coaster (laughs) i'd I'd much rather like have some ups and have some downs and have some Mm -hmm. some variation in life but when we do get triggered by something say we're up on the top of a valley and uh, our mountain i guess we wouldn't be on the top of a valley but top of a mountain (laughs) and something triggers us and it takes us 
down to our, our, our lowest depths to our darkest kind of space, how do we recover from those triggers? Like how do you build habits so that when you take a step back, it's not as far as the last time you're able to kind of climb back a little quicker each time. Can you give us an example of a time when you were up on a mountaintop and you got triggered and found yourself in a valley? Um, I mean, for myself, similar to you, I think going through COVID, like a lot of financial triggers, like going from a place where like our business was like in a very comfortable place, our business was financially, our, our family was financially in a good place. And then everything kind of crashed during COVID and, and we didn't have that same financial abundance. So I didn't even realize I had scarcity mindset like within me until, um, you know, I lost a lot of what I had I'd built and, and we're rebuilding that and getting to a good place. But, um, it's hard. but money for sure triggered me a lot in the last like four years. Like I'd feel like we were building and then something would happen and I'd feel like, oh my God, we have nothing. And my wife would always remind me like, you know, like we live in this beautiful home. We have a car, we have food on the table. Like Mm -hmm. you're just seeing like the worst part of it. But we actually, like you said, if you can focus on the abundance, there are a lot of these things, but I have been able to recover faster myself, but I, I do find it took work to get there. And, um, when I was in survival mode, I'd say those, those triggers felt like landmines. They felt really hard to recover from. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. First of all, I think it's always easier when we're talking about this kind of thing to have a little bit more context or an example. And there's so many people who are like, oh yeah, feel you being there. I think this is the story of any entrepreneur. And then even people who are working more of that nine to five will hit some moment when they thought things were stable. And all of a sudden financially there's, it's not looking the way they thought it was like they lose their job or there's a shift or a big expense comes up. So I think as human beings, we're all going to be in this place at some point in our life. So the first thing is going back to the body. And you mentioned it, you said, when I'm in fight flight, essentially, when when shit's really hitting the fan, it, I'm, I'm so much more activated. Because when you're in fight flight, you're not thinking from your logical brain. You're thinking in survival mode. And so the brain circuits focus in on everything that could be dangerous, everything that's going wrong. It's human nature to exist from that place. So we have to come back to the body and to regulate the regulating the nervous system. So ways that we regulate our nervous system are breath, meditation, moving our bodies, putting your hands under cold water or doing ice plunges and stuff, check in with your doctor before you do that. Cause anyone who has a vagus nerve heart thing can get triggered by that. Um, there are many, many ways that we can support our nervous system. As we support our nervous system and move back to a space of rest, digest, the thinking mind starts to settle. So the danger isn't gone, but now we can sit down at the table and put together a plan. Now we can start to see options. So my biggest anxiety break that actually landed me back in the hospital again was about uh, two years ago now when I fell into that $60,000 hole. 
it triggered uh, the most intense anxiety and panic attacks that I've ever experienced um, to the point where I was having suicidal thoughts. Like I'm such a burden and I, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to ever get myself out of this hole, which by the way, I am out of, I was out of in 365 days, but all I could see was, was what was going wrong. And my nervous system was so activated that these things, these tools that I'm mentioning right now, I couldn't do any of them and they weren't working. So I ended up going on an SSRI and it was the best thing that I could have ever done for myself because it allowed me to start treading water again and to, to sit down at the table and be able to see that there were options, that not all the doors had closed and to be able to start taking some steps forward. So uh, the reason I share that is because if anybody listening to this is really struggling, I don't want people to hesitate to rely on Western medicine to get them back to a space where they can start meditating or running or, you know, drinking the water and using all these other beautiful tools that we have. Um, and so first coming back to the body, supporting the nervous system, which is kind of the opposite of what you want to be doing in these times of high stress when your business is like on the brink, you're not like, oh, let's go do a 30 minute meditation and take a swim in the ocean. But that is actually what we need to do. So I would recommend writing a list for yourself of the tools that support and ground your ass and having that 911 rescue list available to you. The CEOs of a lot of companies speak it like people who speak on big stages, athletes, they're all using meditation and breath work now because they know that they have to be able to get themselves back in the zone and back. They can't be existing in that space of fear constantly. So then when you're able to get to the table, I mean, I can't tell you specifically within your business what the right or wrong answer is, but you know, when you're in that space that you can start to think rationally about things. You're like, we could sell the car and life wouldn't be over. Or we could close operations on that. Or like we might have to change around the team. You can just start thinking about things differently. And it allows you to move with a bit more grace through these different seasons. And rather than being on this extreme roller coaster, we've got like nice waves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing all of that. For for myself, what what kind of helped was it sounds simple, but it was just really just one breath and taking a pause to to catch myself because once I'm spinning, then it's like everything's imploding. But if I can take just one breath and pause, I almost got to a place where like sometimes I'll laugh at myself now that it's like so silly that my brain is having all of these wild, crazy thoughts when I can just hit the pause button and like change the track to really positive thoughts and see all of the, the beautiful, amazing, abundant things. And then as soon as I'm able to hit the pause, I like am able to course correct really quick now. Um, but there was times where I wasn't able to like find where the pause button was. Um, it did take some time to find that footing, but, uh, once you get there, it is amazing how, you know, that 911 list or these habits, they can really redirect you, uh, into a positive, uh, abundant place pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I think one more thing to add to this is speaking to yourself compassionately during these times. And this is, again, it's like, if you're having a body image spiral or you're having a financial spiral, uh, what would you say to your best friend who was in that situation, which isn't 
our goat. That's not usually the way that we speak to ourselves. We don't speak to ourselves with nearly as much kindness and compassion and support as we would give to others. So in those moments, Zach, when you start to notice your head spinning as well, it's like taking that breath and then just saying like, of course, this feels a bit scary. Like you're running a big company. You're doing a lot of things. You want to be able to support your family. And also you're a smart guy. Like you've got this figured out. There's 101 ways that we can move forward or whatnot. And you start to talk yourself through it. Like with that voice of supportive kindness, compassion, whatever resonates with you. And that is a big piece as well of not spiraling lower and lower. The self-compassion provides almost like a mattress or a cushion to land on that you can bounce back from there. Mm. I love it. All of this is like tied into the conversation we were having previous, just with the the idea of like manifesting and, and putting out the energy into the world that we want to receive. And when we don't stop ourselves or hit that pause button or go to our, our list of like, okay, this thing is going to ground me back down. We, we will move so quickly into like that negative energy and all the reasons why we're bad or all the reasons why our business is going to fail or people don't like us or whatever it is. And we will walk that journey and play those tapes over and over again in our head until they become true. And people then on the inverse side are like suspicious or skeptical about like, if you play the positive tape and then that becomes true, they're like, well, that could never happen. And I'm like, we do it all the time in the opposite direction. Like just, just give it one chance to play the positive tape and, and move in that direction and let that energy and what we're putting out into the world carry us in that way. And it's almost like a fun challenge, right? Like I know for me, when I play the negative tapes and it's like, no, 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 stop that. Play the other thing, believe it to be true. And then like watch it as it starts to become true around you. Totally. And sometimes it's, it's, I love that. Sometimes it's hard to do it in the moment, especially if you're even maybe just listening to this episode and you're like, wow, I have a scarcity mindset. Um, or I have really bad body image or my inner dialogue could use a freshen up. It can be challenging in the moment because we're living so unconsciously a lot of the time to make these shifts, which is why I think it's really powerful if you're able to create a bit of a ritual or even for five minutes a day, you spend time breathing, maybe doing a little mental rehearsal. So closing your eyes and imagining this version of yourself that is living from a space of abundance, that is living with confidence, that is like feeling herself, feeling himself. And just uh, actually visualize that version of yourself in existence to the point where you start to feel that at a cellular level. Now, you might leave the meditation and go right back to feeling insecure or whatnot. But for five minutes or for two minutes or four minutes, your body was aligned with what it is that you are hoping to bring in or what it is that you're craving in your life. And with time, you'll start to find that you're able to carry that outside of the meditation or outside of the ritual into your everyday life. So oftentimes when I'm having a shower, that is my uh, little habit trigger to remind me to do my mental rehearsal. And I'll picture myself speaking on a stage and I'm like, I can see my body language. I can see what's happening in the audience. Listen, I'm not speaking on a stage yet, but it's coming and I'm rehearsing it in my mind and I'm going to be so ready when it happens. 
And so it, it really is about creating little spaces and times where we can practice in our mind, uh, visualizing what we want, and then also regulating our nervous system as it is right now. And then it's like, watch out, just watch out. I think that's such a key point. I think a lot of people miss that. There's, there's so much buzz and hype around manifestation and, and, and talk of, you know, abundance and how to create it. But the, the point I think a lot of us miss, you know, we can think about abundance, but it, it is practice and consistency. Like coming from a background in sports, um, maybe dancing for yourself or whatever, you know, habits or, or, or um, hobby, you know, listeners have had in, in the past. Like when I think about basketball, you know, you didn't just pick up a ball and start shooting threes, you know, you had to you had to practice. You had to be consistent yes. to be able to achieve that. Even like I think about when I used to shoot free throws, you know, I'd close my eyes and visualize like that was very normal practice in sports to visualize yes. the shot going in before you took the shot. So it's like we got to be we have to practice and we have to be consistent with it to to program these mindsets, these habits of of abundance, of of, you know, limitless possibilities and curiosities. And it's just doing those habits, practicing it with consistency to the point that it becomes normal. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. Yeah, I think with manifestation, it's like so sexy to think, oh, I can just sit in my bedroom and imagine something and it's going to come to me Mm -hmm. just to dispel that. No, for me, it's like, (laughs) yes, we're doing all of that. And once a month or once every two weeks, ideally, no, but realistically, I do it once a month. I have to print out my reports and open Excel and go into QuickBooks and add all of these things in and check that my bank account is where I need to be. So it's like, it's like you imagining the uh, three-point free throw. Yeah, let's go Can with you that. tell that yeah. I'm so good at basketball? <laughs> what is it actually? Is that what it is? It was close. Yeah, let's go with that. I like that. Free throw. Okay. Free throw. Free throw. Three-point free throw. Oh, my <laughs> could, God. My could, husband's cringing in the background somewhere. They were um, fouled on a three-point shot. You're so imagining three. that, but then it's like the nitty-gritty is showing up every day for practice at yes. 6 a.m. and shooting those hoops, and that's how we connect the dots between what we're manifesting and our current reality. There's a lot of unsexy parts that go into it as well. And I think people are missing that part. They're like just creating the vision board, but then we got to really think about like, what are the habits, mm-hmm. the everyday habits that are getting us to uh, actualize that? I, I love it. Um, I've got a couple kind of small questions as we, I mean, maybe they're big questions. They're probably big. All questions are, are big. Um, just being mindful of time, but uh, I love I love what you're creating with the podcast and and we've kind of been kind of the greatest recipients of our own podcast. There's been so many takeaways and, and life-changing moments. And I'm sure, you know, there'll be seeds planted from this conversation that will grow into new possibilities. I'm just curious, like, what are some takeaways, some seeds that have been planted within yourself from your own podcast that have kind of shifted how you live your life or how you perceive life? I mean, one of them I've already said, which is you are your greatest investment. This message just keeps coming back again and again and again with every person that I've talked to. Um, And then I think the incredible value that there is in learning to love and believe and uh, cherish yourself, like the foundation 
upon which we grow and show up on this world is so important. And yeah, maybe we weren't born into a family or a city or a culture that gave us a perfect foundation. Although my parents are pretty awesome. I love you, mom and dad. But maybe you weren't given that foundation. Like we all have cracks in the foundation and we can spend a lot of time pointing fingers and blaming, uh, you know, as to why we are the way that we are. But at the end of the day, I think the resounding message is you are the authority of your own life, build a rock solid foundation and anything is possible. Literally anything is possible. And I've, I've interviewed men, women, a woman who's 102, who just did a book launch. I've uh, had kids on the podcast for the nonprofit talking about body image. I've had people who have healed from all kinds of trauma and it is 1000% possible to have a life that feels good from the inside out, a life that you love, and you're the only person who can make that happen. So believe in yourself and start doing it. Mm, that's so great. I mean, I love that that's wisdom that you received from doing the podcast, but also wisdom that you have passed on and shared and continue to do so. And and I mean, I just want to take a moment just to commend you for, I think, like your your vulnerability, but also your bravery to share like your own story. Um, we always we always used to say early on in the podcast, like we wanted to share stories because that's how we know we can connect and find like someone else's truth will light up the truth in my life. And and we can just kind of continue to be these lights that pass on our story and our light. And And I think that the way that you identified within yourself you know, I looked like I had everything going from the outside, but inside I was struggling with all of these things, anxiety, eating disorder, people pleasing, all of that. And you chose to face it and to work on that, you know, to do the hard work of, of healing yourself and then not just stopping there, but sharing that story so that others can walk that journey too, I think is, is tremendous because it takes a lot to do that work. And then I think it takes a very special person to be able to say here, like I'm going to pull back the curtain and here's me, right? Here's me fully who I am, knowing that by doing that, I may be able to help someone else. And and so I feel like um, thank you is what I want thank to say you. for the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. It's such great questions. And I've just really enjoyed talking to both of you. Yes. Yeah. So grateful for you, Aaron. Just echoing that. I've already got, uh, I'm typing down notes here for uh, questions for, you know, part two down the line. Um, as we wrap up, uh, we do have a question that we ask every guest to close things out and uh, we'll let Dean kind of bring sure. us home. Yeah. So Zach and I called this podcast a little more good because that's what we wanted to be about and kind of do and put out in the world in, in each and every place and encounter and relationship that we come to is just to to leave it a little more good, to, to lean into that idea. And we love to ask uh, our guests, like, what does that phrase mean to you? Like, if you could say in a sentence or two, a little more good, how does that come across for you? Well, there's two things that come up for me. The first is just recognizing how much freaking good is already inside you, no matter what your story is, it's already within. There's not more that you need to do. It's really just allowing yourself to feel that, like to align with that, to see that good within yourself. The other thing that comes up for me is that as we 
invest in ourselves, in our own growth, as we learn more about ourselves, we undoubtedly increase our capacity to give to others around us. And we've all heard that analogy of you can't pour from an empty cup. But when I think about doing more good, I understand now that has to come from that full cup. And so it starts by really doing the work first and foremost, yourself, um, giving yourself permission to care for yourself. This idea that self-care is selfish is so 1990s. Um, because as you become brighter, as you fill that cup, it really does allow you to do a little more good, uh, all around you. So true. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Grateful for, for the work that you do, for the messages that you share, for the, the space that you hold. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation and, and many more in the future. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And guys, I'm going to leave you with a handout, 55 ways to feel better in your body. If you want to drop it in for anybody who's listening right now as a, an extra little resource, um, we'll leave everyone with that. Amazing. We'll throw that up in the, the show notes and uh, we'll share some information on some of the retreats that you have coming up as well. So that Thank people you. Can, can Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. All right. There you have it. Words of wisdom, stories of self-love, kindness, growth, struggle, overcoming, you know, adversity in this world and these lives that we face with Aaron Trelore. So grateful for her and how she shared and even like kind of some of the things that, you know, she drew out of us and, and things that got us thinking internally and yeah that's a that was a that was a great conversation there we go so big love to aaron love yourself friends love your neighbor love your family but yeah love yourself mm -hmm. you know make sure you give yourself the same love that you're giving others because you deserve it yeah definitely thanks for making it this far we appreciate you if you enjoyed the episode be sure to let us know leave a review wherever you listen to the pods much appreciated anyone who does um, let us know on social media, share the episode, tag us, all that. We love seeing that and um, just really helps with all of the algorithms and that kind of stuff. But more importantly, just we appreciate it and like to know that these conversations uh, had an impact. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention, for listening. Uh, until next time, stay good, y'all. Peace. <laughs>